0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and chips and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, inter awaits you now, as she does every week. You can log on by going to ProvocativeEnlightenment.com forward slash chat. If you see how pretty she is, you're going to rush right over to that chat room. Now, we do have a great chat room, so Ravinder, tell us all about it, please.
1: You're just biased. I don't see anybody rushing over just to see me. They don't actually see me. We just chat away. But it is a great conversation that we have in the chat room. Um, We always learn something from each other, and then we share some humor, which is always good to have as well. So do come join us. That is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat.
0: All right. In this week's spotlight, I wish to discuss something I think of as semantic distortions, how word meanings are distorted by our beliefs and emotions. Our world, to use the words of Alfred Korczynski, has now become, perhaps more often than any sane person would like to admit, false to fact and therefore necessarily distorted. It is precisely the mechanism of semantic distortion that underlies thinking processes that are or become neurotic or psychotic. It is also this same mechanism that gives rise to self-sabotaging behavior, self-limiting, self-defining beliefs. This very same mechanism and mechanism is a good word because the process becomes so automatic that it operates without conscious awareness, marshals our defenses to action whenever our semantic processes are challenged. In fact, the unconscious pervasiveness of the mechanistic nature of these semantic processes is such that even the most knowledgeable of specialists on the matter must maintain a constant vigil to guard against them. Semantics is all about the meaning of words. However, these meanings are not necessarily constant and it is quite possible for the same word to mean different things to different groups. Our language usage, the value and meaning we attach to words, can literally blind rational thinking. Our world not only assigns values to words, but also insists on a sort of isness property that somehow gives the word an existential propriety. The label, the noun, becomes a thing. The noun often holds verb-like characteristics, giving rise to strong emotional feeling. For example, a noun used often today that illustrates this might be illegal alien. Immediately, a visceral reaction may follow from the mention of this noun. A semantic distortion occurs when a word produces a psychophysiological response. This response demonstrates the anchoring of a word to a meaning and unfortunately... That meaning is not an agreed-to Webster-like definition among those who use the word. Further, the meaning is often attached to a whole subset of emotions. It's easy to forget the nature of personal truth when it masquerades in an argument of reason. Logic and linguistics make assertions about many things that are simply false to fact. For example, logic asserts that a gallon is equal to a gallon. This is simply not true from many perspectives, including the most obvious. A gallon of water added to a gallon of alcohol does not equal two gallons of combined fluid. No two things are alike in every way. Additionally, it's not possible to know the so-called total of anything words are not the things they represent and what they are supposed to represent is much more and much less than could ever be written indeed as has been said many times probably in its most noteworthy form by the philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein whatever we say about something it is also not that words are not things and word things such as Griffin do not necessarily exist So if our words trick us, then that stream of consciousness in the words of William James also tricks us. All those inner conversations with ourselves, all the self-talk, trick us just as assuredly. Further, our semantic anchors undergird our semantic reactions, and when they become so defined as to include a hotly charged emotional basis, they themselves become semantic distortions that literally disable our rational abilities. I would argue that today many of the disagreements held in and about our public officials are as a matter of fact semantic distortions. Both sides have defined an issue or individual differently and their semantic anchors are distortions of the facts but they both fail to acknowledge this and therefore have no hope of ever reconciling and that is just sad my thoughts anyway what are yours Ravinder
1: I think this is a really important issue you know you and I have talked about this you know the whole process of semantic priming and semantic distortions you know we've talked about that for years now and I thought I had a pretty good understanding of it and then I realized recently you know I didn't because it explains so well what is going on right now. People aren't communicating at all. You know, you can be talking about the same issue to someone, but if they're on the other side of the fence, they're not hearing the words. They're hearing or they're feeling all the emotions that have been attached to it. You know, so take an example that I kind of came up with, you know, bringing it totally out of the political arena, because I'm sick to death of that stuff. Um, But you can take the color red, you know, for one person, the color red could be, you know, um, you know, you, you remember going on the prom, wearing a red dress, receiving a red rose from your loved one. You know, red can have lots of these soft, romantic emotions to it. But for a different person, red can be the color of anger, the color of fire, you know, perhaps they have a bad memory related to fires or, you know, there was a person who was really angry and they would turn bright red in the face and, you know, be right in their face and just create terror to them as a small child. So then when you suggest the color red well these two individuals will react totally totally differently to just that one word and right now you know we have this going on all over over the place I think it is the best explanation for why there is just an inability to communicate right now so I would say to everyone out there you know stop and think again how often do I say that think again about what you're thinking about and why you're thinking it just because to, there can be so many other underlying issues going on
0: just to expound on what you just said and, and, and you kind of you know, I mean—you surprised me with this analogy but let me see if I've got you right so two people are going to talk about the color red they can't avoid talking about it um, but one person has a definition of red that is totally emotional and it's in one direction and the other person has a definition. It's totally emotional. And it's in a. And now, as they attempt to talk about the color red, whatever you say about the color red, they're not going to agree on. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, but they're going to be resistive to hearing anything positive about it. They're, they're simply not going to hear all the other words that, that you say because you have said that trigger word that has triggered all these emotions, shut down their hearing, shut down their ability to... Understand and to communicate.
0: That's precisely logic
1: and reason. Just that's falls precisely apart. what
0: happens if you use words of politics, and I'm not going to shy away from them. But the parlance: <laughs> if we say Trump, you have the color red. It depends on whose perspective is looking Absolutely. at it. Absolutely. And from there on in, there is no possible communication,
1: which is ridiculous.
0: But that's and I'm going to say is. again: yet yeah, that's sad. We need to get past responses that are anchored, unfortunately, in emotion that halts our ability to reason. Okay, every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our show was all about animal rights. Natasha wrote, I have supported PETA for many years, and it was very good to hear Ingrid dispel some of the horrible things that are said about PETA. CB commented, there's a reason why farm kids are told, don't name the animals. Somewhere people in the animal raising arena know they have to disassociate with the animal to not experience emotional suffering. Beth wrote, they prefer the images of the pretty farm, rolling green hills, animals playing out in the sun their reality is so far away from that now this one is just too funny for me to pass up I asked Ingrid about an ad Peter Place that warned pregnant women against eating chicken because that would permanently shrink their son's penis this sounded absurd to me but by the way I did get the information there is a study that does indeed say so but okay to that Richard quipped I am not as entertained as you all Funny Small penis head Stuff like that is just a Cock and bull story <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> Moving on Edward wrote I can't tell you how grateful I am To have you and your lovely wife Revinder, in my life You guys are truly helping me Change my life for the better Thank you for everything Your work, your products, material And wife's guidance Has served as great mentorship to me I would love to meet both of you guys in person at some point in the future. And likewise, Edward, we'd love to meet you. Jan wrote, I have to tell you, I think Ravinder and you are awesome. Every time I listen to you both banter and the love that comes through when you introduce her on your show, it just gives me hope that love is possible. And it goes without saying, your topics are exceptional. Bravo. Okay, well now listen, Jan. Thank you. First, Rav. Obviously, the world has been fooled by you. (laughs) What do you have to say for yourself?
1: You cheeky so-and-so. That's what I have to say.
0: (laughs) All right. Mike wrote your book, Choices and Illusions, is truly a consequential book. I think this is one of the best books ever written. I think this book will still be studied long after we are all gone. Perhaps I will get the audio book, too. And Carrie wrote, I have not only read Choices and Illusions more than once, but have bought it as a gift for close friends. I am currently in the process of reading Eldon's book, What Does That Mean?, and I'm enjoying it thoroughly. Eldon Taylor and Inner Talk have been a very positive influence on my life, for which I thank you so very much. And we thank you, Carrie, and all of you out there for your continued support. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But I do invite you to opine by emailing me at Eldon—that's E L D O N at eldontaylor.com—or by joining me on Facebook. We sincerely appreciate your comments and feedback. Now to this week's show: the science of positivity. Stop negative thought patterns by changing your brain chemistry with one of my favorite guests, Dr. Loretta Graziano Bruning. Now, Dr. Bruning has been with us before. But for those of you who are unfamiliar with her, let me tell you just a little bit about her. Loretta Graziano Bruning, Ph.D., is the founder of the Inner Mammal Institute and professor emeritus at California State University East Bay. The Inner Mammal Institute offers resources for rewiring your ma- mammalian—I'll get it—said neurochemistry. Dr. Bruning writes the blog "Your Neurochemical Self: Getting Real with a 200 Million-Year-Old Brain" for psychology dot com and that's a great blog i mean you should all go out and take a look at that one so on that let's get her in here welcome back to provocative enlightenment dr bruning hi elton how you doing i'm doing excellent it's really good to have you back you know when Thanks. we last chatted it was all about your delightful book habits of a happy brain you've been busy Why did you write the new? I have
2: a new book, The Science of Positivity, and uh, it explains why it's so easy and natural to go negative and how we can go positive anyway with some intentional
0: effort. It's a great book, too. I have it sitting right here on the desk where we are talking at this moment, and I have several questions about your book. But before we get to that, you heard the Spotlight piece, and you certainly have observed all the nasty, vitriolic exchanges that have been occurring and are taking place at this moment somewhere having to do with political this or that. It seems to me that people on both sides have allowed distortions to undercut both reason and rationality. I'm just going to ask you a a two-part question, Doc. First, please share with us the brain chemistry and its effects that this sort of behavior produces. And second, please provide some guidance as to how a person might take this situation and transcend the negativity. Thank you. That's a
2: perfect question. Um, I I was excited when I heard you talk about it because that was exactly the topic of my blog post yesterday. It's called The Sadness of Partisan Polarizing. So my response is just like yours. It's just sad to be around all of this partisan polarizing. And um, so, first, why do people do it? What are the brain chemicals it stimulates? Um, it seems like people are unhappy, right? But really, this is a curious way of trying to be happy. <laughs> so this is just a bad loop where people learn to be happy in unhappy ways. And the book explains... Uh, Cortisol, which is the threat chemical, which um, wires us to constantly focus on threat. I'm really condensing this. Um, Then we have the happy chemicals. Oxytocin, people may have heard about, which is that joy of social bonding. And a lot of people stimulate the joy of social bonding through politics. And what keeps a group of animals together in the state of nature? It's a common enemy. So whenever there's um, an urge to go off on your own or wherever there's conflict within a herd, a common enemy is what keeps the herd together. And that's what people are doing now. They're focusing on a common enemy to... Um, To strengthen their herd And then um, your second question So what can a person do And I'm so glad you said it like that Let me hold you just a second
0: Let (laughs) me hold you just a second Before you get to the second part Because I think what you just said Is very important So the cortisol Which isn't necessarily A healthy neurochemical Accumulates, etc We'll get to that at some point But the cortisol binds us together, produces this passion, and 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 as that comes in, because we're you know, you you say we're unhappy, I see rage and anger out there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) As as that comes in, we're actually rewarding ourselves with oxytocin because it's part of a bonding process. So we have just created, if I've got you correctly, a circularity uh, of these two chemicals and, and that, that would say to me that this would be a habituating kind of pattern a habit that is an unhealthy habit that we probably should look at breaking if I got that wrong Abs- no, you absolutely right. Um, I, I, of course, I wasn't
2: saying that cortisol is good. Yeah, the, it's the relief of cortisol, the relief of a bad feeling with oxytocin. So in my book, I talk about three happy chemicals. One is oxytocin. The other one that's central to this, serotonin. Now, in the state of nature, serotonin actually rewards you for getting a position of social advantage or superiority or importance. And it's so easy to see how people use positive politics to trigger their feeling of importance and many people have the idea that it's not nice to try to be important and yet politics is their outlet where they have a sense of moral superiority and they don't tolerate any alternative view
0: so we've made a i mean we've we've got a reward circuit here and made a habit out of I mean, we're actually rewarding being rewarded for being angry. What nonsense that seems to me to be. So how do we break that? I mean, what do we do, that second part of the question?
2: Yeah, it's a huge question. So here's the thing when you say we. So let's talk about we yeah, the individual myself. versus we society. <laughs> ah, um, so it's mm. it's hard for a society... Uh, it's hard for me to change society, and a lot of people talk about changing society, but they're really doing that to trigger their own sense of moral superiority. Um, what? So let's start with what an individual can do. So the first thing is to reduce your input of these messages, because most people have these messages going on every minute. They're constantly reinforced, and it's quite hard to escape them. I, I find... You know, as much as I try to isolate myself from this, you know, it pops up. And if I had a more average life, I would be totally surrounded. And sometimes you're totally shunned if you don't go along with it. So it's very hard to distance yourself. But every opportunity I have, I distance myself from this. Um, And so what can people do at large? All I can think of, because it's, it's sad and it's not easy, is to create alternative messages. So that's what I'm trying to do. What would be an alternative way of looking at this situation? And it's hard to do because when you do that, people will spin it to, what, as you were saying, whatever semantic meanings they already have
0: so but i want to pick up on something else that you said here because you see it i mean especially if you're involved at all in some social media uh, mm-hmm. facebook comes to my mind um mm-hmm. uh, when people disagree mm-hmm. and and they're on the opposite sides they have these neurochemicals that you mentioned but now you just mentioned shunned and that seems to be a tactic um yeah. you know, the to ostracize to to call the other side names to immediately label them to attack them and in that yes. attack there's also a reward circle of neurochemistry is there not i mean they're yes. bonding tighter to the herd they're they're pack animals in the lead now or have i got that wrong that's absolutely right and to make it all even worse <laughs> um
2: All this neurochemistry builds strong circuits when we're young, and our brain is designed to wire itself in puberty and then to not easily rewire. So most of these responses are being conducted on a high school level because that's when our circuits were built. So it's that childlike fear of being excommunicated, ridiculed, shunned, rejected, which is what people are operating out of.
0: So we generally, I mean, we've lost rationality when we get to that point. Do you agree with that? I do,
2: but um, since our topic is positivity, I'll also add. (laughs) So (laughs) what's the positive side of this? How How do I try to not drive myself nuts and look at the positive side? Okay, so if you look at human history, there has always been a lot of violence, So the nasty yapping is better than physical violence. So that's the first positive. The second positive is the nasty yapping at strangers possibly, hopefully, like diffuses nasty yapping with the people you know in your physical life.
0: (laughs) Okay I'm not sure I buy that I've heard lots of stories About people that You know Families that are actually Fractured over politics Right now And it seems Um... to me Just to be More than sad It's I mean What ever happened To civility I I mean Even in In the are houses of government like this where what do you think has happened to civility that's just a good question for you I think it to
2: it so I was a college professor for twenty five years, and so frankly, I think I was part of the problem, and I took early retirement to escape from that environment, but the whole education profession is has gotten into this finger pointing thing where the focus of education is to transmit a certain ideology where you accuse and condemn those who don't share your own ideology. And then every young person learns to define themselves that way. And in order to get credentials to be qualified for a career, you have to engage in this whole sneering, one-uppy nastiness. And so everyone in any Position in any kind of credentialed profession has been through this process and has to reproduce it in order to get their credentials.
0: Uh, you know, when we come back, I, I, this is kind of off your book, but I just have to because you were a professor for 25 years. Education should be Socratic, it shouldn't be about indoctrination. I'm going to ask you about that when we come back from the break. We're speaking with Dr. Loretto. Graziano Bruni about her life and new book The Science of Positivity It is a super read, you're going to want to get it You can learn more about our guest By visiting her website at Inner Mammal Institute One word, InnerMammalInstitute.org Now we have a video For you in our chat room today Featuring our guest explaining your brain And showing where your inner Mammal is, so if you're not in the chat room Already get on over there Ravinder is waiting for you do please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to how high is up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble.
0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor. yourself because the past is just a goodbye Teach your children well their father's hell did slowly go by and feed them on your dreams the one they picked the one you know by, don't you ever ask them why, if they told you you would die, so just look at them and sigh. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with Dr. Loretta Graziano-Bruning about her life and wonderful new book, The Science of Positivity. You can learn more about our guest and her work by visiting her site at innermammalinstitute.org. Now we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some true significance to them. By now you know that music psychology is a you know, new hobby of mine. It's a field of research with practical relevance in many areas. Now, we just played some of Teach Your Children Well by Crosby, Still, and Nass. I think I can guess why this one's important <laughs> to you, Dr. Bruning, but I'll let you tell us, please.
2: Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's a really good idea to ask a guest for music, because I just couldn't resist singing along when it's your own choice. Um so um, if people maybe don't know the words, they um, don't ask your – your. Um, it's about children being understanding of what their parents went through and parents being understanding that their children will have to go through something else because from a science point of view – each brain wires itself from its own experience. So nobody is ever going to have any perfect harmony because your brain sees your own experience as the sort of the reality.
0: And yeah, you never yeah. know
2: what your parents went through um and what the song is also saying your parents hell so you never really understand your parent your parents pain and you don't really want to so just accept them as they are
0: i love the words to the song i love the song it's a great song i knew that's what you were going to say listen before the break (laughs) i suggested that um, i believe most of our education today i've said so in books uh is about indoctrination and you know there was a time that education was socratic we taught people how to think how to ask questions how to examine alternatives uh what happened first i mean correct me if you think i'm wrong about that statement but second 25 years in in university did you see this slowly take place what happened
2: but well, the really mind-blowing thing was to see how it worked in myself. Like I actually caught myself spinning facts. That's when I, you know, I knew I had to quit. Um, like spinning the truth in order to fit the ideology, because I understood the ridicule and the hostility that's pointed at people who don't go along with the ideology. And so this is the significant thing, because anyone in the educational system would say, oh, of course they believe in the Socratic method, but um, it's like you have to show in nonverbal ways what is the right answer. So you ask people to think, and then when they give the answer that's desired, they get one set of nonverbal reinforcement, and then when they give the answer that's not desired, there's a different kind of nonverbal reinforcement. So there's a very nonverbal process where people figure out what do you have to do to be accepted. And in the modern world where your output is... Is more fungible and not very physical. This kind of social acceptance process is is really, you know, a person's whole way of making a living. So it's
0: powerful. Yeah. Well. Okay. Let's let's go to your book. I loved your book, first of all. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna start you out. I, I mean, I want to know why brains go negative so easily and so quickly. But before I do, one of the things I enjoyed in your book it, it, is the idea of jerks getting bananas. And you know, as I read this, I thought I can remember a time in my life when that's. I mean that's what you would do. I mean, maybe you were at a Chinese restaurant where there were several different dishes that everybody shared, and it was a large gathering of people, and you were very careful about the portion sizes that you took and whether you went back for seconds, etc., but I don't see that today, so I'm not sure that this jerks getting bananas holds. Share that with us. Flesh, is, flesh that out. Tell us what you mean by that, and, and then tell me, do you think it still holds?
2: <laughs> well, um I should just explain that this comes from the animal world where um if if there's a close study of animals, the stronger individual grabs for more food and people in animal science hate for me to say that and they always talk about sharing and empathy in the animal world but they prove that with very artificially constructed situations but anybody who's been around animals can see that most of the time animals use their weight to push for more food and of of course I'm not advocating that what I'm saying is that because that's the brain we've inherited, we're hypersensitive about um, other people's use of their power, and we're hypersensitive to any threats to our own power. Um, I I try not to uh, – I mean, we, you, you and I might disagree with this, but um, – uh, in the book, I try to challenge myself on this hell in a handbasket" basket thinking, uh, the mm-hmm. idea that things were fabulous in the past, but everything has gone wrong. It's very easy to believe that because we all see what's coming in our own future, which is an unpleasant thought. But um, we could also see that there was unpleasantness in the past and learn to look for improvements Um, because otherwise your brain will always go to the negative first unless you build a neural pathway I call it like a corrective lens you have to correct for that automatic impulse to go negative by building a positive lens
0: so okay now I follow you and and I will agree it it is an overgeneralization to, and, and probably it was for me, maybe it was just the way I was raised when I brought up this Chinese table. I'm sure that there were, but I'm going to come back to the question. I'm, okay, I'm afraid. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe I didn't it, it understand well, well enough. It would seem that people are more willing to be much more aggressive in oh, ways.
2: Oh, I see. I see. Yeah.
0: Than, than, um, I mean, I, I'm looking for the restraint. Have we lost restraint as we've lost uh, some of the yeah. civility?
2: Um, Well, I'll give you a great example, like uh, using your Chinese restaurant example. When I was a kid, if I went to a Chinese restaurant with my parents, I would just be grateful for whatever was ordered. (laughs) But when my kids go to a Chinese restaurant, they're like, oh, we want this and this and this and this and this. (laughs) Um, And then they even want to go there for lunch during school like just the kids go out for... So um, maybe the word spoiled and entitled kids has come up, but um, so many people are thinking the kids have it harder today, but then in other ways they have it easier. So every generation wires to its own experience. Um, The food shortage was the metaphor for so much of life because like most of human history people lived with food shortage and then when there's more abundance not just abundance of food but abundance of like restaurant food (laughs) (laughs) Um, then people use all of that survival energy that evolved over millions of years over smaller things like getting promotions getting likes, getting a hotter sex partner, excuse me for saying, I mean, (laughs) but that Really, why, where why, the brain why, puts its why energy. Why would I
0: want to excuse you for that, doctor?
2: Excuse me? Oh, uh, why would I you? Said, want- why <laughs> would I
0: want to excuse you for saying that? No, i yeah. yeah. Continue. Yeah. You were talking about sex. No, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. Yeah. Now.
2: Yeah. No, I mean that sounds very shallow. But this is where the brain puts its energy. Like in in right. the past. You would just think, oh, if I could only get so-and-so to smile at me, if I could only get so-and-so to marry me. And now it's like, oh, you could marry them, chuck them, get another one, chuck them, get another one. So things come more easily, but we kind still have Kind of a serial that...
0: monogamy without marriage. That's what you're talking yeah. about.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's just one example of the idea that our brain chemistry evolved to reward us when we meet a need and when our needs are basically met then the only way to stimulate our reward chemical is with um, with rewards that are curious and don't have a real obvious connection to our needs.
0: Okay so Let's let's start here. How do we change this pattern? Let's begin by how do we go positive instead of negative?
2: So, what I explain in the book to build a new path, a new neural pathway after puberty is not easy because we're designed to build the superhighways by puberty. Takes a lot of repetition. So, you have to choose to feed your brain new experiences repeatedly. So the exercise I suggest is to stop for one minute, three times a day, and focus on good things around you. And I know that sounds like gratitude, but the idea is to go beyond gratitude and actually give yourself credit for something, because instead of just feeling good about things that fall in your lap, you can also feel good about your ability to to meet your needs and have an effect in the world. And... When you do that, you may not feel good about it because you're probably going to think, oh, that's not such a big deal, that's nothing, you know. Like, well, I can be happy when I perform in Carnegie Hall, but I'm not going to be happy about just practicing piano for five minutes. Uh, So when we do it repeatedly, though, we build the neural pathway, and then the electricity can flow so it doesn't feel as artificial. So the idea is that your negativity was artificial, but it just feels real because you built a huge neural pathway and the electricity flows, so you have to give your positivity pathway a chance to flow with a lot of repetition.
0: Your book, by the way, I should mention, is full of directional guidance, if you will, I mean, you call the book The Science of Positivity, it would be, you know, just as well to call it a manual on becoming positive, because it's not just about the science, it's also then how you turn the corner and you change these things. At least that's what I got out of it. Uh, Yeah. So, why does going negative stimulate dopamine, and what's the, I mean, we haven't discussed dopamine, what is the relevance of dopamine to the entire landscape of our neurochemistry?
2: Sure. The entire landscape, we'll start with, in the state of nature, if you can think of, for example, an animal, it doesn't have a pantry or a refrigerator, so it has to constantly look for food to avoid starving to death. And that's what dopamine does. So first, dopamine makes you feel good when you get food but it makes you feel good when you see evidence that there could possibly be food like on the other side of the river. And it gets you to swim across the river, to climb the tree, to cross the mountain, to find the food. And today, when we have our basic needs met, dopamine is that good feeling of excitement you feel when you see yourself getting one step closer to a goal. So the way negativity stimulates it is, um, I'll give you a simple example. If I have Please. some huge, grandiose dream, uh, like I used the example, I, I want to sing in Carnegie Hall, and then I fail and fail and fail to meet my dream, then I'm not getting the dopamine. So people sometimes instead create negative patterns, like, oh, people like me don't get to sing in Carnegie Hall, and then they find evidence to fit the negative pattern rather than the positive pattern. So every time I find evidence, it's like, yep, I was right. People like me never get to sing in Carnegie Hall. Everything's unfair. It's all messed up. It's all going to hell in a handbasket. And so it's like an alternative way to predict because the brain is designed to predict in order to survive, and it's a way of being right because your brain gives you dopamine when your prediction is right.
0: So you're rewarded for being right about being wrong or being yeah, unable. Yeah. Or like so you're, I mean, yeah. I, I look at some behaviors when you say that, and I happen to know somebody that you know they spend ten dollars, and that's not a lot of money, but they don't make a lot of money either. Uh, they they do grounds work for me, but they mm-hmm. spend ten dollars every week buying uh, lottery tickets, and yeah. you know when I ask him about it, well I know I'm not going to win, but you know if you don't. Uh, if you don't buy him, how, how's that go? If you, if you don't try, you never will win. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But he's actually being rewarded neurochemically because he doesn't expect to win. That's what you're saying. Drop $10, bucks, do not expect to win, you get some dopamine.
2: Yeah, well, I think part of it is the um, hope. You know, how does a person sustain hope? And people often do it in unrealistic ways. And another aspect of it is it could be oxytocin bonding thing, like let's say this person is surrounded by others who buy lottery tickets, and when they get together, all they talk about is that. So it's a way of connecting to that. And also, there's the belief, people have different beliefs, which is it's a a neural pathway of how do you get rewards. And one kind of belief of how you get rewards is luck. So if luck is your belief system, then you have to do something that's based on luck to get your dopamine.
0: Mm, okay, so now if we get all, you know, the losers together, and I don't like that metaphor, but I'm, I'm using it because I think it exaggerates. Yeah, and like a self-label. Self if we get all the losers together mm-hmm. in their group, Uh, doing whatever they do that they all expect never to be successful at they're Mm -hmm. going to all receive both dopamine and oxytocin bonding the group and rewarding them for being negative Mm -hmm. right? yeah so then you look out into the world and you see people who are continually self-sabotaging through Mm -hmm. some mechanism or another mechanism Uh, they're they're whatever they're you know they're at a job where they, they, they just know they can't get along or the boss doesn't like me or every time they make this negative prediction they don't only really wire that in to their mm. they don't only really wire that in they actually are rewarded for it and that's part of what makes it so difficult for them to change is it not
2: yes exactly um, you, you get a reward. That's one way to get a reward, and that way works for them because of their old neural pathways. Um, and I have to say that I was, you know, uh, I'm very susceptible to feeling like the boss doesn't like me or somebody doesn't like me. I, I think it's probably common because we've all had social disappointments, and what what I explain is that cortisol, the threat chemical, evolved to, warn you so you never have to touch fire more than once in your life. And so any social disappointment, that builds a cortisol pathway, and then you see the potential for social pain everywhere. And unless you build an alternative circuit, you can gather the facts and be absolutely convinced that you have total proof that the boss doesn't like you and this one doesn't like you and that doesn't like and this one looks down on you and that one feels superior to you, because that's the kind of information you're looking for. And then when you read, the, and this is what got me into this, when you read that this is how monkeys operate, that they're constantly looking for information about who's one-upping who, then it's like, oh, my God. So that's not because I'm so... Sophisticated. It's because I'm a monkey.
0: You know? <laughs> I love your sense of humor. That, that, that comes through in your writing as well. Okay. Thank you. Let's come back to where we began this whole process, you know, today. We live in, we are herd animals. We live in an environment that is full of a lot of negativity. It's kind of hard to avoid mm. it. How can a person go positive when the others around them in their group right there contiguous are negative
2: it's very hard so the first step is to recognize that you have that power of choice in every minute a lot of people sort of are in the habit of saying well it's not my fault everybody else was doing it and to realize that that is a natural mammalian impulse but you have the capability of doing more than that. So you can choose to go positive when others go negative. Now, will you get a bad reaction from people? Yes, you may. Um, and But the bad reaction doesn't have to weigh so heavily in your mind. So I think that's the thing. You get to choose how much weight you put on that bad reaction versus the potential reward you have from feeling safe and confident
0: okay in the last couple minutes if we can tell us about what you call pare p a r e
2: um so this stands for personal agency and realistic expectations So what I say is you can pair your negativity with personal agency and realistic expectations. Personal agency is the idea that you are always your own agent and you get to choose where you invest your energy in every moment. And if you don't like the choices you're making, you get to make new choices. Sometimes your choices will fail and you'll invest your energy and you won't get the reward you expected. But you can enjoy the fact that you are choosing and you can always choose your next step so many people do the opposite they say well i didn't get a reward that i expected because those choices were forced on me by others and i never have a chance to choose for myself which is how they perceive it and then they may feel better in the short run like well it's not my fault but in the long run when you don't feel like you're your own agent, it's just very frustrating and you end up resentful. So you have power to choose every minute and it's good to enjoy that power. Now, realistic expectations. So um, again, if in the monkey world, there's this urge to be stronger and when you do that, you get more reproductive success. And then that good feeling is metabolized in a few minutes and you have you have to take a step of strength again to feel it so this is what is wrong, what is wrong with people this, this is a natural thing that whenever you feel good the feeling is metabolized in a few minutes and you droop back to neutral and you have to do something else to feel good again so if you can just accept that you're drooping back to neutral nothing is wrong with the world You don't have to urgently go out and do something miraculous to have another peak experience every minute. You can just be realistic about what our happy chemicals are meant to do.
0: Oh, wonderful. The book is The Science of Positivity. You know, our listening audience out there is all interested in positive thinking um we all know the benefits of positive thinking. if you want to know what holds you back when you try to be a positive thinker you've got to get this book because it's about neurochemistry years and years ago we didn't have an understanding of the machination behind this process of thinking today we do and dr bruning's book is a must read dr bruning i really appreciate you coming to the show and your willingness to share
2: Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed your question.
0: My pleasure. All right, we've come to the episode end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you. Until next time, remember, wherever you are in the world, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Elden at EldenTaylor.com.